For our scripture reading today, let us turn to the penultimate um, chapter here in Genesis 49, and then we'll read through the last chapter, the first 17 verses, or 14 verses of chapter 50. So a a multi-chapter scripture reading, but not all that long in and of itself. So beginning to read with chapter 49, verse 29. Uh, Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And here and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants and the physicians to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were scheduled, were required for him. For such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. Now when the days of his mourning were passed, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan. There you shall bury me. Now therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, and I will come back. And Pharaoh said, Go up and bury your father, as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. Only their little ones, their flocks, and their herds they left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great gathering. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned there with a great and very solemn lamentation. He observed seven days of mourning for his father, and when the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshold floor of Atad, they said, This is a deep warning of mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore its name was called uh, Abel Mizraim, which is beyond the Jordan. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought uh, with the field from Ephron the Hittite as property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father and returned to Egypt, he and his brothers and all who went up with him uh, to bury his father. May the Lord bless this reading to our uh, good understanding. We come to the end here of Jacob's life. It's almost the end of Genesis. It's 
somewhat fitting we've been focusing on the family. It's fitting here that that we cover another death or the final death that's covered in Genesis, namely the death of Jacob. Because in our families, if we if we live in families and we grow up and we mature and that sort of thing into our years, there's no alternative to death in the family. Because Adam sinned and uh, death entered the world through sin. And so uh, death is something that we all have to face. The only question is how will we face it? Will we face it in faith uh, with the strength of hope that we have through the gospel of Christ? Or will we face it uh, blindly without any uh, verifiable hope, namely just the feelings that we might conjure up from our own minds and our own hearts? It's uh, something real, and um, the, the New Testament exhorts us that when, that when we face death, that we're not to face death, we're not to mourn as those who have no hope. There's a mourning here. We see Jacob, or we see Joseph mourning over his father, but it's not without, as we'll see, it's not without hope. And so we need to emulate that. We need to copy that. We need to see that these Old Testament people had a faith in the afterlife. They had a faith in eternity. They had a faith in a life with God in heaven. And it's a happy hope so that uh, those of us that are left, when we, when one of us dies, the people that are left definitely feel that loss and they, they, they brought face to face with the pains of death. But at the same time, if we have, if we have cultivated a life of faith in our lives, then it's not, as, uh, it's not as nasty and critical as it is otherwise. And so we, we see that now through the lens of Jacob and Joseph. The, the last of the patriarchs, Jacob, we heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob is the last of the great patriarchs, although uh, Joseph take, takes up after him. And then after, after Joseph, we have uh, um, Moses and Joshua and people like that that, that filled into these places. But... Uh, the, the, this is the end of the the, um, the great patriarchs that followed after Abraham and his life. And so um, it's a noteworthy passage and what worthy of our study. Now I've divided the divided it in half, first focusing on Jacob and then focusing on Joseph. Uh, and I've, the outline I've got here is uh, Jacob oversees his own death. And I've tried to relate that to the fifth commandment. And then uh, Joseph lives on in faith. And I think those are the two great points that we should draw from this text. Uh, uh, Jacob oversees his own death. So Jacob has come to the end of his life and he, he brings the family together and he exhorts them. He, and evidently he had a sense of the presence of, or the imminence of his death. And we often do in this life. Um, I've seen it in the hospital many times. And in my own family's life, where we will, we, uh, you know, we, none of us uh, eagerly or joyfully uh, go, go to death. It's a kind of a shameful thing coming from Adam. And uh, it's, since we haven't, we have no experience with death, it's, it's somewhat scary. You know, when we, when we've been able to experience something like going to ball games or going on vacation or, or, uh, enjoying celebrations in our family, birthdays and these kinds of things. You look forward to them because you've seen them, you've, you've, been, you've been through them. And, and yet with death, uh, you know, you, uh, the Bible says we only die once. 
<laughs> and uh, at least literally, we have a spiritual death that we must deal with. But then we 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 die, and it's not uh, it's it's a, it's a startling, it's kind of a scary thing to think about. And yet we see Jacob here. Uh, Jacob comes to this moment of his life, uh, not screaming, not shrieking, not tearing out hair, and casting himself down on the ground as if he had no hope or had no plan. We see he he it's very orderly. He says. He, he charged, he called his family together and he charged them. And he said, I am to be gathered to my people. Even this phrase, which is used here and then and again at the end of the chapter, gathered to my people. This shows that the, the patriarchs had faith, that there was life above. And that the, the, the people in their family who had already died, they were not dead. They were alive above. And that, that uh, then Jacob was going to be gathered to this a witnessing group that was above already. <clears throat> and so um, as we as we see as we see Jacob here and as we think about it, we have to, we should realize the amazing insights that Jacob had. Uh, Jacob, from his perspective, unlike most of the people alive in the world at that time, Jacob could see the kingdom of God. His life was transcendental. In other words, it transcended through the ceiling above us that we might see, the, the ceiling with which we might identify with life in this world, tangible life. They, uh, Jacob's life transcended that because he was a spiritual man. And uh, Jesus said, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. But Jacob could see the kingdom of God like his father, and his father before him, his grandfather Abraham before him. So uh, he was a man who was endowed with this, uh, with a wonderful um, sense of reality. He saw the kingdom of God. He saw the dimensions of it. He had seen the essence of it in terms of the kindness and the, the purposefulness of the Lord. He, all of the events of his life, the providences of his life, he lived through them. He'd come through them. He'd, he'd been he'd been sold into slavery by his brothers. We, we you go back over his life, and uh, or, I mean, um, I'm sorry, I'm confusing Jacob with Joseph. But uh, Jacob had gone here and there, traveled to get his wife, but cheated by Laban. All of these different things, and yet here he was. He was back in the land of promise. He had seen where God had blessed him. He had seen where jo where Joseph, his beloved son, had been sold by his brothers. He first thought that he was dead. Thought he had given up any hope of him. When when uh, the word comes to him that Joseph is still alive and that he's the prince of Egypt, <laughs> Jacob cannot believe it. It almost takes his life away from him. So this this man Jacob had seen so much. He he was he he looked like you and I in the sense that he he was a typical human body. At this point, an old man. And yet he had seen so much. His, his mind and his heart had been enlarged by the Lord. And he perceived so much more than the typical person, uh, than the typical person yeah, of, of, uh, of his day or our day. And, um, <clears throat> and having seen this then, he, he, the instructions that he gives his clan has to do with the, the faith that he has about the preservation of life and him going to be with Abraham and Isaac. And so he, he, um, 
he, he charges them in verse 29. He charges them with certain responsibilities. He says, when I die, I want to be taken to this grave that's back in the land of Canaan, which would become the land of Israel. Now, we remember when, when Abraham bought that, when Sarah was dying and was, when Abraham uh, went through this large uh, procedure of buying this, the cave of uh, uh, Machpelah and uh, of uh, Heth the Hittite. And, uh, and uh, we might not have seen the significance of it there, but here at the back end, we see the significance, don't we? We see how, how involved this was. We see how uh, not only had Abraham buried Sarah there, but Abraham had, had had himself buried there by Isaac, and then Isaac had had himself buried there with his wife um, Rebecca, and um, and now his his son Jacob goes to his death. And by by choosing this site, it shows how the patriarchs had this ongoing belief in life. They had an eschatology, a view of history, a view that God was in control and that God was going to bring them back, that he had made promises to Abraham to give them this land. And so they had bought this property from the heathen that lived there, lived there before, from the pagans that lived there before. There's no special anointing of this cave in the sense that this was a holy place carved out by Jehovah before. No, this was, this was a pagan property. That, uh, that Abraham bought and purchased with the plan that his people would be buried there, the, the, the heads of the family would be buried there as they died. And all of that was based on the promise that this land would be theirs someday. So a Abraham was a man, and it testifies of this in the book of Romans, that Abraham lived by faith. He had a tangible sense of what God was doing in his life into the lives of his people. So he bought this burial site. The burial site uh, just evokes all these thoughts and feelings of the promises of God and the fact that even though they had not yet inherited it, even though this was the property of, or it had been the property of this pagan, that now it was the first fruits of the inheritance in Israel. And I, I, I think you might find that kind of strange to think of a, of a grave being the first fruits of something that God has promised. Uh, and yet, um, in a sense, our death, when we die, it's the, we shall see that that is the first fruits of an eternal life that God has, has for us in the future. So, um, so we see this. Now, in, the, in this respect for his Abraham and Isaac and for the plans of this gravesite, we have to see how this fits into covenant theology. And how it's not just an off reference to a burial site. One of the Ten Commandments, these commandments that have to do with the, the, the essence of ethics in our life. One of these Ten Commandments is the fifth one that says, Honor thy father and thy mother. Now, it's, a, it's an ethical commandment, but it also fits in with the eschatology of Israel, with the promises of Israel, with the promises that God had made to Israel. And so I've said before to you that uh, on, on one hand, it's a simple commandment uh, to, to honor the righteousness of a father and a mother. Today, we uh, are honoring uh, Mother's Day. We've honored fathers on Father's Day. But 
to the degree that our mothers and fathers are righteous and point us to the Lord, they are, they are worthy of honor. And uh, the most significant part of that is that parents ought to pass down the faith of the Bible, the faith of Jehovah to their children and to their children's children. So if, if we, and today, if we honor our parents, and if they're people of faith who have honored their parents, then you see it's like an unbreakable chain that comes out of the eons, the mists of history. And this chain links one generation's faith with the previous generation's faith and with that generation which is to come. Um, I remember, I didn't realize this about the fifth commandment. Well, really any of the commandments. I know Scott has sometimes talked about the wonder of the larger catechism and the way it deals with the commandments, how it taught him how how broad they were and how full concepted they were. And so that came to me, and I, I just I remember the day when it hit me that this is not just a, a kind of a, a, a marginal or a casual commandment to give honor to your parents, but it's something that fits in part and parcel with the covenant of grace and with the transmission of the covenant of grace. And so when Jacob here ties in the burial, the burial place with Abraham and Isaac, and now Jacob will be buried there. You see the you see the history that is being built and constructed. You see the the continuity that's there, where uh, covenant theology and covenant life come together in the in this burial place, and the fact that Jacob takes this utterly seriously. He calls before he dies. And it's a grace of God that he was able to do this. He calls his family together and he calls them to bury him in this special place that has been dug out and made holy by his his father and his father's father. It's a lovely, lovely thing. And it ties in with the, the fifth commandment. So I pray that you would see that and, um, and, uh, and uh, uh, not lose touch with that and that how it's tied in both with the covenant of grace from God and also our faith to the Lord. So that's Jacob that I wanted to point out and to, and to bring to your attention. Um, but um, it's, uh, it's really a marvel. This, this last moment of his life is kind of like the frosting on a cake because you see in his faith, you see all the fullness and the complexity of the life of faith, which, which we aspire to ourselves. So these people were not primitive. There was no evolution of a great evolution of theology. There was a, a little bit of evolution. We call it the uh, the, the growth of the, uh, the the knowledge of God over the over the centuries. But in essence, as it teaches in the Book of Romans, in essence, it's the same both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The people lived by faith. God has not changed in the people that lived. They may have gotten more sophisticated. They may have learned more stuff over the years. But uh, there's so many similarities between the Old Testament people and the New Testament people. That's wonderful. Now, so we see, first of all, Jacob oversees his own death. We see what that's entailed. Secondly, we see that Joseph lives on in faith. We see the, the burden of Jacob we see picked up with Joseph. And we see him going forward uh, with this in terms of his own faith. He obeys the, the uh, urging, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, the command that his father gives to him. 
in faith. Now, he's a very important man in Egypt at this time, and yet he, he does this happily. He obeys his father. And it's not like he has, to, he has to be driven to this. No, he sees it himself. He has a life of faith himself. And so um, he carries on. Now, at first, he weeps about this. Uh, he had seen in his father, <clears throat> he had seen greatness. Jacob, Jacob was a great man. He was one of the greatest men of the ancient world. Of all the people who lived before Christ, he was one of the great ones. For his generation, I don't know who could aspire, who could say that they were greater than he in terms of his what he knew about God, what he had seen, what he'd seen the Lord do through his life. Um, and uh, and then, um, so, uh, and Joseph uh, not only had seen the greatness of his father, but then through the strange providences of his life, he'd come to see the greatness of Egypt. I don't know if we think about the world today. Um, I don't know if you th think about the great, some of the great cities of the world, like Paris or London. Uh, for much of the world, they think when they think of America, they think, well, America is the, the citadel. People are trying to get in it, despite, despite many of our people thinking it's a terrible place um, that, that is being denied by the people that are clamoring to get in and bursting down the doors right now. And um, it's a kind of... Um, just an aside, it's a kind of a chaos right now with the border. And uh, many, uh, many very liberal people, Marxist mentality people, many of them, I uh, think that this, that they're somehow going to undo the plan of God, that they're going to undo the, they're going to change America, you know, and get, knock it off its uh, foundations. And there are plenty of people who don't like the foundations beyond, beyond them, but they, there's this mighty plan. But you see, uh, the, uh, the fools, they say in their heart one thing, but God does another thing. And so it is it's very chaotic right now. I wish everything were different, but I know one thing for sure. Uh, these present political policies are not going to ruin the plans of God. And God, God is going to use these things to bless his church in the end. I have no doubts about it whatsoever. So I will politically, I'll work to close our border. But at the same time, I know that as long as that border is open and porous, that God is going to use it for good in the future. And, uh, and Jacob or Joseph had seen this in his own life. So, um, but he had seen some the, the brilliance of Jacob's life, the brilliance of Jacob's faith. Joseph had seen that as a son. And all the time that he was in Egypt, uh, maturing as the prime minister of Egypt through the famine. He was thinking about his father and his father's people, and yet he knew that it was not time to be reunited with them. It came to be when there was a, this famine, it came to be that, that God brought his family there and they reunited. And then Joseph began to, to, he could finally see his father in the flesh again. He could embrace his father and talk to his father and share the love and the affection of his father. So they were good days, but um, but uh, uh, Joseph had also seen the wonders of Egypt, and Egypt at that time was like Paris or London or America in its greatness. I mean, it really uh, Egypt was the most fantastic country in the world at that time. Its medicine, its law, its um, its political the political. Uh, reign that it had over other nations nearby and that sort of thing. So 
uh, it was extravagant. And yet, Joseph, you see, is there as an Israel Israelite. And he, has, he sees all of these things through the lens of faith and through the Lord's workings. And so um, he has seen the best of the, the pagan world, in a sense, and, uh, and God has brought him to the place where he is sovereign over it as the prime minister of Pharaoh. And, um, and uh, it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. But now he sees his father dying, and he must carry on everything that he's seen. And it's not time to go back to Israel yet. And, and Joseph will die in Egypt, won't he? He's not going to be, he'll be buried back there in this cave again with others, with the, the others who have gone before. But uh, his time is in Egypt. And to the, whatever degree the Lord has opened his mind to this, to, uh, educated him and shown him what's going to take place, it, uh, it proceeds, it, uh, it develops. And uh, so after the, after the burial, they mourn. Um, the Egyptians give testimony to the greatness of Jacob. And um, this, is, this is so puzzling or so enigmatic because, and yet it's all prophetic of the future. I mean, how in the world would God get this pagan nation Egypt's attention and then invest themselves and their tears in the death of uh, a Jewish guy, you know, from, it's just amazing. But God God works all this out. So they have this fantastic funeral back in the land of Canaan. Even the Canaanites are shocked by it, that that, the, uh, that this large contingency from Egypt has come there. And and uh, and, uh, and Joseph is leading and, uh, and uh, uh, sheds many tears, and, and the, so do the Egyptians. And then, but then, Joseph takes up his burden, and heads back to Egypt to be the prime minister there in Egypt and to be uh, a leader of his people. And uh, this leads ultimately to their captivity. There, there were uh, days came when the Egyptians did not remember all of these things. And, and they were envious of the Israelites and the, their relative wealth. And so they enslaved them and they made them build the pyramids and things like that. And so when, Jake, when, Jake, when Joseph goes back here, we don't know how much he knew of what was going to take place in the future, but Joseph went back in faith. His father had lived in faith. His father had died in faith. And now Jacob goes on and he lives in faith. Um, uh, and uh, he obtains the grace of Pharaoh and pointing to God's kingdom. You know, in the, in the Psalms it says that all nations will come. And we'll worship the Lord. And we see this being worked out here through Egypt. We get a foretaste of that as, as the Egyptians mourn over Jacob's death and go to his funeral and that sort of thing. And, um, and so uh, then Joseph returns uh, in faith to uh, his land. Uh, in, um, in, in Psalm 78, uh, which is a psalm about the history of Israel, there's just a passing reference to this in uh, Psalm 78, verse 12. And uh, Psalm 78 talks about the sins of Israel and then how God blesses Israel despite all of these sins, how God brings them through. Despite themselves, God brings them through and he keeps pushing them forward to inherit their destiny. And uh, in verse 10, it says they break, uh, I'm reading from the Psalter, they break the, the uh, Geneva or the... Uh, 
1730 Psalter is that they break God's covenant and refused in his commands to go. His works and wonders they forgot, which he to them did show. Then it says in verse 12, things marvelous he brought to pass. Their fathers then beheld within the land of Egypt done, uh, yea, even in Zoan's field. By him divided was the sea. He caused them through to pass and made the water so to stand as like a heap it was. So it focuses on the two dimensions of their, their stay in Egypt. Zoan's field. Uh, it's just a casual reference to a place. Well, if you go to a Bible dictionary and you look up Zoan, you'll find that that was an ancient Egyptian city on the east side of the delta. And it, it was developed as a stronghold to repel invaders. Uh, it was even used as the capital for some time. And ultimately, it was the place where Moses uh, had counsel with Pharaoh when it was time to bring the exodus. But in, with Egypt, you see these two dimensions. You see the deliverance from Egypt, the exodus, which is akin to salvation. and then in the, But the earlier chapter, you see this amazing... Uh, um, uh, salvation of Israel from the famine and this amazing, the amazing providences of how they were led to the land of Goshen, which was near Zoan, uh, to be saved, to flourish, to grow up, to develop their population until there were millions of them that went into went back into Israel. And so uh, Zoan's field is this reference to the fact that within the, they, that they beheld wonders in Egypt but it was the wonders of how God developed them. And then ultimately when they were enslaved, then uh, God helped them to escape and they passed through the sea. Within the land of Egypt done, yea, even in Zoan's field. And so this looks back on this day of Joseph and his ascendancy where he was the prime minister of all of Egypt. And it's an amazing, it must be one of the most amazing providences in all of history when a foreigner was given hegemony over this foreign people. And all of this, in a sense, was prophetic of the ascendancy of Jesus Christ over all of the people of the world and his sovereignty over them and his building up of the kingdom of God as it takes place in, in the uh, New Testament. And so this is just an amazing story. Uh, I know as we've as I've preached my way through it here with you all, I've been re-amazed at how uh, I, I, every time I see a new thing or see an old thing that I've known in the past, every time I see these things, I think, Dick, why, why haven't you thought more about these things? Why, why hasn't this the, the wonder of these events filled up your mind more? How could you have forgotten this or forgotten that? So uh, the, the scriptures are so rich and they remind us. We know Joseph is a type of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he points to the, uh, the amazing ascendancy of Jesus Christ. Uh, just as Joseph was sold into slavery, so our Lord was incarnated into this ugly world of sin and distress, and yet that could not hold him. And in the end, even though he was sentenced to death by the greatest court system in the world at that time, namely Imperial Rome, though he was sentenced to death, worthy of capital punishment, the Imperial Romans said. Despite that, it says in the first chapter of Romans that God raised him up from the dead in the resurrection. Rome had their ideas. Jehovah had his ideas. The son could not be held in the grave. 
He is our hope today, brothers and sisters. We are connected with this ancient people. We are in continuity with them, just as Joseph was in continuity with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we are in continuity with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and, and Joshua, and Moses, and all the other men of the Old Testament. We are in continuity with them. And just as they believed in life after death, we believe in life after death. So that when we lay our lives down, our children will mourn. But it is not like the mourning of those who have no hope. This life is a dress rehearsal for the glories to come if we are in Christ. Let's close in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank thee for these inspiring verses. We pray that you have filled our minds uh, with the colors of this narrative through the mouth of this poor preacher. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would be we would rise up and that we would account that we would amount more than our mere flesh and blood. We pray that we might be transcendental people. We pray that we might see more than is here, namely that we might see the kingdom of God. We pray, O oh Lord, that all of us are reborn. Except a man be reborn, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We pray, O oh Lord, that we will be reborn. We pray that we can see the kingdom of God. We pray that the sight of it might might uh, excite us and amaze us and draw us even through the throes of death unto eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.